Welcome to the Orange Silicon Valley Bistro Cast, the podcast about what's new, what's coming, and what connects people in the world of tech. I'm Brian Warmoth, the content lead at Orange Silicon Valley. Today I'm joined by Sarah Luger. Sarah is Orange Silicon Valley's resident expert on AI and natural language processing. And if you haven't heard our episode about AI and language, I encourage you to go back and have a listen. Sarah, it's great to have you back. Thanks for sitting in again. Thank you, Brian. It's great to be back. Yeah. And Sarah's going to be here with me to talk to our guest for this episode, Mira Murati, the strategy lead at OpenAI. OpenAI is an AI research research company focused on safety in artificial general intelligence. Mira oversees hardware strategy and manages the reinforcement learning research team at OpenAI. Previously, she led product and engineering teams at Leap Motion, as well as design, development, and launch activities at Tesla Motors. I'm sure there's a lot more, and we can talk about more as it comes up, but Mira, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, Maybe we could just get started by you introducing what OpenAI does, what makes it unique. Uh, It has a nonprofit dimension to its activities. Uh, Could you explain what it does and how it relates to your core concerns and your mission there? Mm -hmm. Sure. So um, OpenAI started as a nonprofit, and its goal has never changed despite the changes in structure. The core mission of OpenAI is to enact a safe path to general artificial intelligence and ensure that it ultimately benefits humanity. Mm-hmm. So along the way, we made some changes to the structure of OpenAI in order to achieve our mission. Mm-hmm. As you know, um, the, today's AI systems take a lot of compute, and that is very uh, funding intensive, and it is much easier to create a structure where there is a potential return um, to investors in order to 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 get the amount of funding that we need to achieve uh, safe AGI. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but we created kind of a unique structure that we call a capped profit structure. Mm-hmm. So after a certain uh, amount of profit, then all other benefits get distributed to the nonprofit element. Of of OpenAI. Mm-hmm. So when you when you say safe AI, what characterize for me what that means? When you when you look at your mission there and you look forward to what AI should look mm-hmm. like, what do you envision? What are the characteristics of safe AI? Right. Yeah. So that's we um, we have tried. That's a very good and difficult question, mm-hmm. and we have tried to um, outline some of these ideas in an OpenAI's charter mm-hmm. um, of what it is that our mission stands for. But at the same time, it's not a clear definition. We don't have a monopoly over the definition of safe AI. Um, I'm certainly not an expert in Mm -hmm. safety, but we do have an entire team at OpenAI that is dedicated to um, researching this question and figuring out how we create systems that um, are value-aligned with humans. Mm -hmm. And then the deployment aspect of it is completely separate but in addition to you know bias and discrimination in algorithms and data we we're also looking for a more comprehensive approach towards policy uh, and and areas more societal 
areas, areas that have a varied societal impact, I would say. So we need the help of the entire community. This is definitely not a question that will be resolved by mm-hmm. uh, a small group of people in Silicon Valley. And we're looking for the entire community to be a part of it. Yeah, uh, You know, that's really interesting, Mira. Thanks again so much for joining us. Uh, Orange has a human inside program, and it's similar to some of the tenants you're talking about because mm-hmm. AI is going to be in every part of our life moving forward, but the future is still a ways away, and we want to make sure that on our journey there, we keep humans uh, primary and the human experience Absolutely. primary. Mm-hmm. And I think this use of the word safety is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I, I'm sure you know that we've got billions and billions of dollars that have been invested in AI applications, but probably a very tiny, tiny amount of that is invested in AI safety. Yeah. Um, and that's why we built a huge team inside of OpenAI to work specifically on this. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you entered that mission. I know you have a background working with engineers, with mm-hmm. designers, uh, and that was in, I noted your background there. What was your background coming into OpenAI, and what was your awareness of sort of the state of play of AI development? What got you interested, and what attracted you to working with the mission there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my background is in mechanical engineering, mm-hmm. and uh, then I worked in aerospace for a bit in yeah. engineering domain, and and then I went to Tesla Motors, where I was leading uh, the development and launch of Model X with a group of engineers, researchers, um, sales and manufacturing yeah. people. Uh, it was a varied group of people. And then while I was at Tesla, I got very interested in autopilot and yeah. in computer vision. So I started exploring that further and decided to join a startup called Leap Motion. This company works on defining an impact for new spatial computing, okay. so virtual reality and augmented okay. reality. So um, I, there I was leading engineering and product, and our goal was to basically define the next human interface. Yeah. Um, so we were using hand tracking technology. Yeah to bring this input in the virtual space. And then uh, the goal was for you to interact in the same physical and intuitive way in the virtual space as you interact in a physical space. Yeah, so getting the environment and the interactions to resemble what the person would be familiar with from an outside context, right? Exactly, and in our normal reality, we have physical reality, we have a very high bandwidth interaction. We use our hands uh, and words, obviously, but uh, in, in... with our current computers, we use a mouse and yeah. Uh, keyboard. Yeah, and which has been the case for decades. That's now. right. Yeah. yeah, voice may be the new mouse, but a holistic yeah. approach to how we as humans interact with each other and mm-hmm. machines is gesture plays a huge role, mm-hmm. as well as intonation and emotion. Exactly. So these are subtleties that right now the granularity of how we we uh, decompose data into AI computable bits. We're not quite there yet. Gestures is in a very interesting area. That sounds like a very cool job. Absolutely. And very difficult to create, to recreate in the same natural way that 
it is for humans. And so we were using AI techniques at uh, Leap Motion to recreate natural input of hand tracking, basically. Oh, I see. Um, and in doing that, I realized that we're basically recreating perception. And um, you can leverage ML techniques and AI to do that much better. But um, there's definitely limitations. So I started getting more and more interested in the idea of general uh, intelligence and perhaps you could um, have a more integrated approach mm-hmm. um, rather than narrow, rather than applying AI to specific C- Characterize for me the significance of general when somebody's talking about right. general intelligence yeah. versus other types of AI. What, mm-hmm. what are you talking about when you say that? So uh, what I mean that uh, narrow AI would be things like Siri on our phone mm-hmm. or self-driving vehicles. Mm-hmm. They are pre-programmed for a very specific task. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas general AI would be that uh, would mean that you're not pre-programming the uh, system mm-hmm. to execute a specific task, but rather you are um, rather it is it has the ability to learn and generalize similar to humans. And so the question that I was exploring at the time was whether you could achieve this recreation of the perceptual system in virtual reality and augmented reality much faster if you create some to- some type of general AI mm-hmm. rather than kind of going after narrow AI. What was the conclusion you came to, or did you come to I one? Don't <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know that yeah. yet, but that's what led me to get more and more interested in uh, open AI. It makes a lot of sense. Brian, I think some of these solutions are perhaps decades away. Right. Sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, how would, how would you uh, characterize where we're at right now, and what interests you about this week, this month, right now in the development of AI? What do you think the most compelling questions are that need to be answered? I think in terms of what's interesting, there are a number of interesting projects out there, but perhaps what I think may be more impactful in the long term would be projects that have an element of a virtual environment and AI agents that have the ability to learn and interact with their environment in meaningful ways. And while while they do so, they can uh, learn and make their environment even more complex. So I'm particularly interested in this type of projects. OpenAI has a similar project where you have in robotics, uh, where you have a virtual environment and you're training robot in a virtual space. And then you see that it can transfer that learning into the physical space. And so that's what we did recently. And the the impressive part about it is this idea or this ability to transfer Mm -hmm. learning from something. What types of actions was that robot engaging in? What were the maximum Mm -hmm. capabilities? What What was the frame of reference for what, what sure. that thing could do? So there is, um, this This might not seem very, I guess it, it might not be very meaningful if you don't put it in the context that uh, robots are not very good at generalized tasks. Like if you look at industrial robots, they're very good at like picking up a body panel in a factory, uh, automotive factory, yeah. and uh, placing it in some specific location Mm -hmm. with high precision, high accuracy, and doing that thousands of times in a row. But then if you move that body panel by half an inch or you change the object, then the robot will fumble. Uh, It won't be able to do anything. So 
In this context, if you, if you give a robot, uh, uh, what OpenAI did is, you know, we trained this robot hand to basically uh, handle and flip a, a small cube, like a toy cube, okay. and manipulate it, be mm -hmm. able to uh, manipulate it with... Uh, turn it from one side natural. facing up to yes. another side facing up. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. Yeah. So turn it around, flip it around, and this sounds very simple because it's something that a one-year-old can do, <laughs> but in robotics it's actually very challenging um, but yes the dactyl hand we called it the robotic hand can can do this very naturally and gracefully I think that's a really interesting point that we talk about robots and you know even with the background in AI I automatically think of something that is human-like but metal and um, on the production line or the reality for a lot of working robots is they are either a hand or an arm Mm -hmm. And and so we're still lo looking at a part of the problem, and maybe that's a good metaphor for where we are in terms of specific yeah. versus general. So general AI, we want a whole system mm -hmm. that can walk, that can pick things up, mm -hmm. that understands different environments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is definitely in the very early steps of... Yeah. trying to get to that generality. Yeah. And, and are we trying to create AI to do things... So look at the, the robot hand as you bring up, for instance. We're trying to create a simulation of a human action there. Are we trying to create, when we create, create the best type of AI, are we trying to create a model that is a better version of what our brains do? Or do we approach the logic from a different point of view in figuring out what the best type of AI should be? Um. I think when I think of these technologies, I, I think of them as augmenting yeah. our human capabilities mm -hmm. um, rather than replacing them. We are obviously limited by yeah. the size of our heads. Yeah. Um, our strength. Many, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so there is limited compute. Mm. Yeah. Um, in us, and I think with building these systems that have essentially infinite compute, if we can get to that point, yeah. we can really augment our abilities and global challenges in medicine and science um, and across various fields that seem unachievable now uh, could be something that we can handle. How, how would you care? You, you bring up a, a number of fields and verticals there when you're talking about the, the potential applications. Which which of those are the most interesting to you that you you've seen in your work? Uh, to me specifically, the most compelling ones are issues in um, climate change mm -hmm. that seem impossible to tackle right now. Yeah. Tell um, me more about that. Yeah. yeah how, I think what, what is the potential of AI to to have an impact on, on climate change and what we what we do about climate change. I'm definitely not an expert in climate change, but yeah. I, I know that there is a huge amount of data out there that we could leverage to uh, create better systems and perhaps uh, do better weather predictions. And climate change is a particularly tough one because it has so many different fields. Uh, it's a kind of collection of chemistry and biology and different fields. But I think if we can leverage AI in each of these areas, perhaps we can get to a more integrated, better solution that we haven't thought about yet. Education is another one where I think um, AI could definitely have an impact and perhaps in creating more personalized education that's accessible to everyone um, if we can make it 
Are you talking about personalized learning experiences mm -hmm. or Personalized, what? but also um, at, at the level where it's accessible to everybody, mm -hmm. no matter where they are. Mm -hmm. And also... How, did, how does AI help us with that? Uh, so, for example, if we can get, if we can create either um, AR systems or, um, and, and make them at the right price point eventually, yeah. that they are accessible uh, by everybody, and we can have personalized assistants that can teach us based on uh, our interest and curiosity level, um, I think that would be... That, that would definitely be better than being in a classroom with mm -hmm. people that are perhaps of various level of curiosity on mm -hmm. a particular subject. Mm -hmm. um, but also it allows you to be in a classroom with anyone mm -hmm. in the world. It improves um, remote learning opportunities. Right. Yeah, I see. Yeah. And, and at the same time, you know, if you can have... Uh, if, if we can leverage these AI systems to create um, interactive systems that allow you to kind of touch and experience a molecule or um, a gravitational wave, mm -hmm. then you will build a much stronger intuition for these things um, similar to that of a soccer ball, for sure. example. Yeah. And knowing things with such a deep intuition uh, definitely expands our learning. Yeah. yeah, getting more digital doesn't mean getting less experiential. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one right. of the great AR, VR, um, you know, promises. Mm -hmm. Because we, you know, it's like taking notes manually when you're listening to a talk. Even if you don't look at those notes, there's, there's a physicality that triggers some of our, our understanding. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, we actually don't know exactly why that is. Mm -hmm. And um, to your comments on sustainability, I think, uh, again, to think about all these different disciplines that maybe aren't speaking to each other, but are part of how do we support the earth and ourselves and allow us to continue to grow food and to be sustained alive on this planet. It makes me think a lot about why aren't we looking more holistically about um, how the Earth itself replenishes itself in terms of carbon? And I've looked at some really interesting research on that where, hey, maybe instead of gloom and doom, maybe some of this stuff is possible. Mm -hmm. And it is possible with AI and collaboration, really having humans Definitely. do what they do best mm -hmm. and leveraging computers. Uh, zooming in a little bit from the, from the big picture, what types of questions do you think the companies, uh, the corporations implementing this type of technology, whether they're startups, whether they're private companies, whether they're public companies, what questions do they need to ask as they begin implementing the next generation of AI technology? What, what concerns do you think, like, you know, what should the C-level executives, what should they be asking before they adopt mm -hmm. this technology? Because it's coming, it's already there in certain mm -hmm. places, it's, it's going to get better. What do they need to be conscious of as it's right. arriving? Um, I think we have to think about the right social mechanisms to deploy AI. The technology has advanced uh, significantly mm -hmm. in, in the past few years, and we so we have great 
algorithms and we also have a ton of data, a ton of corporations today have a lot of data that they don't use. For example, in healthcare, mm -hmm. we collect a ton of data every day and we use a very small fraction of the data. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there are a lot of questions about how, what are we trying to achieve, what are we trying to improve, how do we use this data in an effective way, um, and that perhaps requires bringing in people from different disciplines to yeah. solve these problems. Um, and then how do we ensure that uh, kind of regulation and policies and societal norms can keep up with these advancements on technology? And maybe they don't need to keep up, yeah. so figuring out where they need yeah. to keep up. Yeah. To, to what What's extent next? are we already seeing specialized AI people with like maybe like I'm I'm an AI say somebody's an AI expert with a healthcare data expertise so you're expecting to see AI experts with construction expertise whatever the the field is um, do you see that as being a trend going forward that you're going to start seeing a need for people with that set of skills uh, on the job in, in more places. Or, or do you think you're going to end up with a centralized hub of AI experts mm -hmm. who are serving all of those fields? I think that having basic knowledge of how AI mm -hmm. works is definitely necessary, yeah. but I, I don't think that you need um, necessarily a. Yeah, I guess AI that's kind of what I'm wondering to, is like, should your CTO be an AI expert? You know, is, is that necessary, or should the CTO just have a basic understanding mm -hmm. of what these things are yeah. and know where to go to get the right Yeah, people? I think it's more of the latter. Yeah. And really understanding the power and the potential of the technology mm -hmm. and kind of connecting the dots to yeah. how, how to apply it. I think it's pretty similar to any other new technology. Sure. Um, in terms of the type of people that we will need to figure out how to apply it. So... How about on the personal level? And this is like both inside and outside of the enterprise. Uh, and I know you, have, you maybe you spoke to this a little bit in what you were talking about in the, the future of, of interactions, UI. Mm -hmm. um, how do you see AI having the most prominent impact on people's daily lives? Where are they going to see it or be aware of it? Or do you think they won't be aware of it? Ideally, they wouldn't, we wouldn't yeah, be aware yeah. of the presence of technology mm -hmm. and it would be invisible. Yeah. That would probably allow us to have mm -hmm. richer interactions. But what, what, what's the first part of my day waking up in mm -hmm. a few decades where AI is going to intersect with my, my daily life? What, is it going to be at home? Is it going to be at work? Where along the way? It's probably going to be everywhere, I yeah. think, a few years from now. But mm -hmm. it could be, it could also, I think the power of AI is to create, uh, to make the current technology more mm -hmm. invisible. Mm -hmm. And so if we can have, um, instead of our phones, that create kind of a barrier to the interaction with other people mm -hmm. around us. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, this is really true. The and it's already there to some extent, right? Through messaging, or if it's if it's yeah. sorting my inbox for or, or something. The right? fact that your thumb hurts or that mm -hmm. your mm -hmm. neck has a crook in it—that means that we haven't gotten to the the um, immersive, naturalistic steps that are needed for us to respect human human and the human computer interaction. Mm -hmm. Because if we're trying to build ubiquitous systems, we can't search like we do with Google, where we alter our searches because we understand how Boolean works. We actually have to behave in an intuitive, humanistic way. Mm -hmm. And 
right now we're not there. Even as humans, we interact with with uh, devices much differently than ideally. You know, to Mira's earlier point, we want to have these really natural um, interactions. So then we have to build systems that act more natural than we do mm-hmm. when we engage. I think that um, looking at the the possibility of AI and talking a lot more about the possibility instead of the, the gloom and doom, mm-hmm. you know, is something that is really an interesting. Um, I absolutely really, agree. Yeah, yes, really. Definitely. And you're definitely um, supporting that. So it's nice to, it's nice yeah. to hear that perspective because um, that's, that's really scary to a lot of people. And I respect their fear about the unknown and maybe the education component mm-hmm. you brought up. And help. it's it's powerful technology, and it it's just like a lot of powerful technologies. It is dual use. It has the potential. Yeah. So it's really up to us to decide how to design it, how to deploy it, yeah. what to use it for, yeah. and how we make sure that it's distributed equally. Yeah. this We have a lot of resources, and maybe this is an opportunity for us to... Um, distribute them differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as you said, data is very important. The algorithms we use are very important. And also from a bioinformatics or medical uh, informatics perspective, as you noted, making sure that we're using the right data to answer the questions that are in front of us. Mm-hmm. I often feel that uh, psychology and uh, good experimental planning has a lot of important information to guide AI because often we're using the wrong data mm-hmm. to answer the questions. The uh, parallel is we're not asking the right questions right. to get the answers that mm-hmm. we want. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can bring that full circle back because I, I, I do want to get back to your work at OpenAI. What, what questions are you asking on a daily basis in looking ahead to, to where things are going right now? In the projects you, you work on, what are, what are the questions you want to have answered right now? Um, a lot of the projects that we're working on have to do with um, how do we generalize intelligence mm-hmm. and yeah. how can we transfer intelligence. So yeah. we look at various environments. So there are three pieces to it. There is yeah. the algorithmic piece, the environment piece, or data. Yeah. And the third piece that is compute or hardware. And so we're pushing on all three. Mm-hmm. And obviously we've got um, um, a great team working on the algorithmic and uh, training aspect, but we're also working with partners um, to look at what type of chip architectures do we need to develop in order to support this type of systems mm-hmm. that we are building now. Um, so, and and also we have we've uh, just uh, created in the past year a policy t- a policy team that works more broadly on um, these type of questions. Uh, you know, what type of um, values and what type of goals uh, are we going to give AI and educating yeah. international and national um, institutions on AI in general? It, that's interesting because it gets to a point I wanted to bring up with you before before we wrap things up here, which is at maybe the highest level of decision making, uh, you know, at the, the heads of nations, at the, mm-hmm. at the top policy levels, you know, at the local policy levels, but probably mainly at the, you know, national policy levels and maybe international organizations. What are the questions that policymakers should be asking, and what are what are the answers that we need to find before? 
things get away from us, maybe, is the best way to put it. Yeah, that's that's a very difficult question, yeah. and I think we're yeah. also and I, trying not that to we have to have the answers out. to that. But I'm curious to know um, what your perspective is. What mm-hmm. if I'm you know a, a lawmaker, you know, or I'm you know the head of a, a state organization? What what should I be concerned with? But uh, as things are happening in the wild, what 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 do I need to be aware of? You know, it's hard to say yeah. the impact that this technology will have, but we know it's going to be a, a very significant impact. Some people. Uh, even equated to like the industrial revolution Mm -hmm. and so if it is something like that and it creates abundance and it creates a lot of opportunity for everyone that's fantastic Mm -hmm. but we'll we'll have to wait to get there but I think in the meantime if there is going to be this type of paradigm shift we need to bring economists to the table and lawmakers and policymakers and think about how do we create a society and a society structure and an economy that does work for everyone. And these are very difficult questions, but I think we can start with educating ourselves with the potential and power of this type of technologies and um, how can we ensure that they benefit most of the world yeah. or all of the world. Yeah. How confident you are you that things are headed in the right direction uh, on that note? Or what, what, uh, how, how would you characterize the state of things in terms of mm-hmm. whether or not that is likely happening, partially mm-hmm. happening, or a mixed bag? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it, it's um, on, on the research side, I feel very optimistic. And I think in other areas, it's pretty mixed. We're seeing people get more and more involved and national and internationally. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think we can do more. Yeah. I wonder, are public education efforts a part of that? How aware do you think the yeah. vast majority of the general public is of where AI is at in their lives and where it will Probably. be five years from now? Not very much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I definitely think we can do a lot more, especially yeah. in public education. Mm-hmm. I, I also think that one of the mismatches mm-hmm. is that we're in an economy where selling of AI is very valuable. It gets funding. It's part of this um, forward motion in Silicon Valley. I also think that the promise and the reality are quite far apart. Mm. And being able to have maybe a little bit of time to have uh, discussions and, and teach maybe someone who is less digitally competent what potential jobs in the future could be, also discuss change, real, you know, what could be real societal change in a way that's inclusive might be one of the paths forward because policy usually follows uh, a disruption. Usually it's an attempt to correct or we as a, as a community see that there's a social contract that's been broken mm-hmm. and what we right now think is important. And so it's okay if policy is a little bit behind, but maybe we could use AI mm-hmm. to start thinking about what will be the first real changes we'll see and how we can support people. Mm-hmm. To help it do the most good for everyone. Mm-hmm. To, to yeah. help it yeah. and, and to, you know, to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good final word to end on for this. I'm afraid we've got to wrap things up now. But Mira, thanks for coming. I don't know if anybody listening knows, but Mira was going to be at our uh, executive summit a, few, uh, a month ago, I guess now. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, I was 
it, it was too bad we didn't. It, it, we it had, we changed the program at the last minute because we had a, had a complication come up. But I I just want to thank you for coming back in and taking the time out of your day to, to come over here and talk. And I hope we haven't heard the last of you. And perhaps uh, sometime Definitely. down the road, I know there will be programming coming up at Orange Silicon Valley over the next year. And uh, hopefully, we'll be able to host you again, Mira. I, I'd love to come. Okay. Thank <laughs> Thanks you. for having me. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank we'll you. see you next time on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Orange Silicon Valley Bistrocast. I'm Brian Warmoth, and we're glad that you could be a part of the conversation. If you liked what you heard today, we hope we'll see you on Twitter, LinkedIn, Medium, and orangesv.com, where you'll find a link to subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, The Main Cable. On orangesv.com, you'll also find an updated calendar of upcoming events being held here live at Orange Silicon Valley with many of the same experts you hear on each episode of the Bistrocast. We'd love to see you in person. 